Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me, my good friend, AJ Kaufman. He writes in a lot of places. It's not just at lidblog.com. It's not just at Arut Shava either, for that matter. He writes for newspapers and business journals in five different states. He's uh, he's all over the place, man. He's ubiquitous. AJ, welcome back. The ubiquitous one has returned after five and a half months away, I think. Oh, has it really? It hasn't been that long, has it? It was just after the election. I, I believe it was just after the the fateful midterm elections, where we had an, a, a stirring analysis of uh, how I was correct on so much during those Senate and House races. Gee, now I can remember why. No, I'm just kidding around. No, I, I actually thought we'd we'd done at least a couple since then. But it's good to have you back. Lots to discuss. You're actually on a on a story today that I that I haven't actually paid a lot of attention to. I've seen some chatter on it uh, at um, on social media. And I believe one of the people here at Hot Air, one of the writers here at Hot Air is writing about it as as we're discussing this. But Randy Weingarten has popped back up for some reason. Tell us what's going on with the uh, American Federation of Teachers uh, Union president and what her um, argument is du jour. Well, Randy, I call her Randy. She's a friend of mine. Um, yeah, Randy. yeah. Um, you know, she makes $560,000 a year. So I think it's good to be friends with her probably. Um, no, nothing in particular today or, you know, anything norm outside of the her normal, you know, kind of hateful, vindictive ad hominem attack. She, she had a big editorial last week in the venerable USA Today where she entitled it, Republicans are destroying our public schools and teachers and parents must fight back, which... I could have changed. I could have written the same article with just changing Republicans to Randy Weingarten or the uh, yes. AFT pot versus kettle, what have you. But yeah, she's always fighting. I mean, she's 65 years old. I, I think maybe, you know, the fighting may be having a terrible effect. She was fighting for Terry McAuliffe to be governor of Virginia and she, she fights, but um, like many in her position, she likes to label anyone who dissents from her views as an extremist or racist, you know, people with vendettas or what have you, or putting their ideologies ahead of, Children, which, by the way, I love that, by the way. If anyone's ever put their ideology ahead of children, it's the head of the AFT. Yeah, but, for like um, two years, she was doing that, keeping the schools closed by putting up all sorts of stupid requirements exactly. uh, for reopening the schools that had really nothing to do with the safety of the children. No, we, we learned pretty quickly that school children were, thank God, children under 18, under 12, certainly <laughs> were not really at risk from COVID as much as most people or anyone else. And the schools, in some cases, were safer than them being at home. But she locked the gates as best she could. You know, smaller towns, more rural areas, they opened up that fall or early that winter. But in the bigger cities, you know, well over a year, sometimes close to two years, um, not counting the strikes that occurred in some cases like Chicago, right after they reopened, they went back on strike. Right. I mean, the abuse of children in some of these major cities by the AFT, the NEA, teachers unions, what have you, is just brutal to deal with. And, um, you know, so the bottom line is she's back on the attack. And I just wrote an editorial in Lidblog that came out Monday afternoon just talking about what I just mentioned. And also just how if her allies wanted to talk about, you know, racial disparities and such. I mean, look at the schools in Baltimore and Washington and Memphis and St. Louis and New Orleans and New York and, and all these places where you know, she thinks there's inequity, which there is, or inequality, um, but the teachers make good money there, and the school children are doing terribly, and they 95% of them are not even proficient in math and English, so that should be the real scandal. You know, Washington Post, NPR, USA Today should be covering that, not having her publish dishonest editorials. Right, right. 
Well, she's getting a lot of she's she's doing something today. She's giving a speech or something. And Mary Catherine Ham is all over it on on Twitter. Um, and I just have been so busy doing other things <laughs> that I haven't had a chance to really dig into it. So I'm glad that you're keeping an eye on it, AJ. That's not that's those that's not the big story of the week. Because like you said, this is Randy's got a Randy, right? This is <laughs> this is this is basic wine garden. It's wine garden 101, right? It is. It really is. It's it's sad. I mean, she's not going to stop. She's been doing it for 20, 30 years. I wish um, at some point, you know, if you listen to certain governors of, of blue states, uh, former governors, Larry Hogan, um, Chris Christie in his day, if you listen to um, Mike DeWine in purple states, um, they, they have a lot of success to, uh, you know, trying to reach across the aisle or at least try to push back against, you know, progressivism um, and, and large, you know, left-wing groups, but they cannot make any headway against teachers unions. Uh, th this group, these groups are just impossible to move and push back against. Even after COVID, you really can't stop them from inflicting the terrible damage they have on society and being divisive. Just the fact that she even mentions Republicans and Democrats. I mean, you're the, I, I understand why we all understand why I've been writing about this sit for almost 20 years and considering I'm not that old, you know, I was writing about it when I was really young. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, America's school children suffer. We, we, uh, we are, I'll just read you what I wrote in the, in the article and then we can move on. Sure. Um, St. Cloud Times up in Minnesota wrote an editorial three years ago. And I mentioned, uh, this is not verbatim, but basically that the U.S. spends nearly $20,000 per student annually from kindergarten through 12th grade. That's nearly double the global average. So this whole underfunded aspect is not true. Yet the average student in Singapore, and I, I pick Singapore, I realize that's a high level place, but they're nearly four years ahead of their US counterpart. However, going to places that are not as wealthy, not as affluent, Estonia, Finland, Norway, New Zealand, Germany, they also outspend, outperform the US despite spending less per pupil. So you talk about us being a global laughing stock. The left like to talk about us being a global laughing stock with healthcare or environment or whatever. Really, it's public education, which we are a global laughing stock. Just really quickly, because I know we want to move on to a couple other topics here. Um, but I would argue that probably the difference is, is that we're spending it on administrators rather than on educators. You know, and we talk a lot about the teachers unions. We talk a lot about administrators, talk a lot about um, uh, the activists. Most teachers want to educate. I mean, I I know teachers. I'm related to teachers, you know, and really they they really just want to be able to educate the students that are in front of them. But the problem is, is that they get pressure from activist groups and activist school boards to adhere to certain types of curricula and and uh, you know forced into certain types of activities rather than you know educational activities. Reading, writing, right, arithmetic. You're talking to one. I taught for five years after college in Los Angeles. I loved right. teaching. I loved teaching students. I got along with my colleagues. I left because the teachers unions, they bullied me and they were ruining kids' education and making it almost impossible to teach and focusing on politics like anti-war rallies and political campaigns. Right. And now, you know, gender ideology, I mean, it's just gotten yeah. worse. Oh, that's that's new. And, that's new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's new from when you were in when, when Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, all right. So uh, let's pick up a couple other stories that, that took place this week. First off, Joe Biden jumped into the race, surprising literally no one. <clears throat> I'm surprised he actually got in as early as he did. I'm not even sure why he got in as early as he did. It's not like he needs to crowd people out of the, you know, crowd people out of a primary. He's you don't in think he was worried about RFK Jr. Yeah, I'm sure he was. 
I'm sure RK Jr. kept them up nights. Um, uh, maybe Cheryl Hines did. Uh, maybe Hollywood did. I mean, look, I, I know Cheryl Hines is getting is getting a lot of flack in Hollywood from her Hollywood colleagues for supporting RFK Jr. Um, rather than getting behind Joe Biden. But there is the uncomfortable fact that Cheryl Hines is married to RFK Jr. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't even know that. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you know, okay, cut her a little bit of slack, right? I'm not a big fan of any of these people, but you got to cut her a little bit of slack. That's her husband. She's going to support when him. When was the last time a spouse did not support their husband for the presidential election? I mean, well, we might, might be, it. It might be <laughs> Melania. I was just gonna—I didn't want to say it. I was just gonna say I don't know that Melania is gonna be voting for Donald in the primary, but I could be wrong. I mean, I'm sure she'll vote for him, but it's very clear that she doesn't want to be part of the um, part of the circus again. No, no. And um, and so yeah, that that might be as close as it comes. I'm not sure if Betty Ford was really all that engaged in in trying to get Gerald another another term in office, but yeah, usually. Um, yeah, usually wives get behind their husbands. Lucretia Garfield. Lucretia Garfield was not thrilled about James's campaign in 1880. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, actually, for good reason. Look how it worked out. I know. She had <laughs> yeah. a premonition of it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but Biden's in. Obviously, Jill Biden is very enthusiastic about this. Yeah. Um, some might even suggest that maybe it's Jill's idea. Again, not sure why this early, not sure why he wants to do this, but Man, that campaign video, they really needed to take another month and think about it some more. It was awful. It was a it was oh, a awful campaign video. There wasn't a single thing in there about what he wants to do. It was all ultra mega, ultra mega, all demagoguery all the time. Now that, that's a pretty accurate representation of Joe Biden. What was your take on that? It's along the same lines. I mean, I, I watched it uh, several times. I couldn't get enough of the Kamala Harris shots because, you know, she was everywhere. Um, and yeah. there weren't a lot of farmers and, and, and blue collar workers in it. I can tell you that much. Um, I think Al Sharpton made two appearances in it. There was at is, least one Al Sharpton appearance. Yes. Which is remarkable considering, well, who Al Sharpton is, you know, arguably anti-Semitic and bigoted, maybe not, maybe inarguably. Um, and a man that 20 years ago, you wouldn't find Bill Clinton, Al Gore, or John Kerry putting anywhere near his campaign or in a video. I realize well, maybe, Al 20, maybe 20 years ago, but not 25 years ago. Uh, I, I think he yeah. ran in 2004, right? So we're coming up to 20 years. Uh, so it was the 2003, 2004, just about 20 years ago, he was running he for, ran president. for president. But I'm saying, would John Kerry or Al Gore, you know, openly uh -huh. have him in their campaign videos as a supporter? Maybe you, you, maybe you don't recall the 2003 four cycle, but they were kissing his butt the entire time. Okay. And, Kerry, well, Kerry, Kerry was, the, well, just John Kerry, who's, you know, an odious human being. Howard so. Dean. Howard Dean well, was Howard all over himself. To that, that was that. Um, that was what got him in trouble in that one. Yeah, they, they've oh, been sucking up to. Well. They've been sucking up to Al for a long time. Is that and, why he lost so much weight? I mean, is that is that the weight loss and from all the kissing? Well, good, for no good, good for him. Good for him because he needed to lose the weight. I actually met him once, um, and he's uh -huh. he's a thin dude. <laughs> he lost a that was, lot. That was the uh, Morrissey Sharpton for Lieutenant Governor campaign of 2010. Was it? That was what. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I thought the video was pretty bad. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought it was very bad. And I, I, you know, of course, you and I are somewhat partisan, but I, I'm willing to admit when a campaign video is decent, and um, it wasn't decent. I mean, it was it was dishonest. Um, it, it didn't mention Trump by name, I don't believe, but it was clearly aimed at, at Trump. We mentioned the uh, ultra MAGA crowd and. Um, 
It's interesting because I never thought Biden was running until after the midterms. I didn't think he was running for re-election until he, as the titular head of the party, had his party had a more successful midterm election, especially yeah. on the Senate side, than, than they figured. Um, but four years ago, four years ago to the day, I, I believe, he sold himself as, as what the nation needed to end Trump's polarizing presidency. And he was going to be this avuncular transitional figure until the next generation of progressives was ready. Now that next... I'm laughing because I'm thinking about the next generation of progressives, and I'm trying to find one that's ready. And it's, there's no one. There's there's not Pete Buttigieg. He's he's failed completely um, at transportation. It's certainly not Kamala Harris, who's going to be a liability on the campaign trail among most demographics. Um, it's not J.B. Pritzker or Gretchen Whitmer or Gavin Newsom. Or it, it's amazing. So the video shows that Biden is running to stop Trump. I believe. And Biden needs Trump, and maybe Trump needs Biden, frankly, frankly, because you know the term negative partisanship, right? Right. That, that is a, I would say it's a powerful force in our politics today, but it's probably the most powerful force in our politics today. And so this, this monomaniacal focus that the, the, the Democrats have on Trump, and I'm sure they will hate Ron DeSantis or anyone else who becomes the nominee or gets close, but it really does inform everything they do. And Biden is the vessel. He is the only one that they, that, he believes he's the only one who can defeat Trump and spare the country a second Trump term. And, and that's why he's running, because the other alternatives, Ed, are are bleak. Yeah. Um, the I think Biden needs Trump. I don't think Trump, well, Trump might need Biden, but I think Republicans in general need Biden. <laughs> I think it's easier to run against Biden than it is against a fresh candidate, right? And it, it, this is one of those first to the post situations where the first party that actually puts up a candidate who, you know, was born after the birth of rock and roll <laughs> is probably going to win the election. Right. And the question is to whether or not the Republicans are going to be able to recognize that um, in time and whether or not it matters to them. Uh so that's a good question. Whether whether or not it matters, I I think you're going down a road that I like there. Whether, explain what you mean by that. Whether or not it matters to Republicans. Well, I think that there's a lot of performative um, venting in in politics today, and you talk about negative partisanship, and I think this is of a piece of that. It's not actually negative partisanship itself, but I think that there's a a burning desire for some revenge for what happened in 2020, whether, you know, the real or perceived injustices of, of 2020, people want to um, have a nice bow tied on that by giving Trump back the office, right? Um, now, I'm not going to get into, you know, we've, we've debated the 2020 thing endlessly. Part of the problem with Republican Party is they won't put it behind them. And Trump certainly isn't putting it behind them. And to but, be fair, the media is going to ask them about that, too. So the media doesn't want that to be put exactly. behind Republicans either. No, I mean, the media really wants Biden up there. And, and and take a look at how they're how they're covering Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is is stumbling. Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is falling behind. Ron DeSantis hasn't even declared for the for the campaign yet. He's still working in Florida um, at, on the legislative session. Um, you know, so it's, it's silliness. Nobody's falling behind anybody. This is way too early. Nobody's casting votes for months and everybody knows that they're not casting votes for months. Um, it is coming down, I think basically to a person, two person race, which is the, one of the, one of the many 
uh, errors I think that Donald Trump made with his campaign video, which came out this morning. Um, and I wrote about that extensively. Uh, but basically what he did was he went right after Ron DeSantis, very negative, not on substance, on the on the idea that Ron DeSantis is being disloyal by running against him because Trump endorsed him in 2018. It's ridiculous. Um, well, it's it a is. dumb argument, right? I mean, basically, but I mean, strategically, you know, people make dumb arguments all the time in politics. It's not usually it's not usually fatal. Right. But but strategically, this is this is about as. Uh, foolish as you can get, because that he they're trying to make this into a two-person race, which is what Ron DeSantis wants it to be. It's what a lot of Republicans want it to be, because they know that as much as we may like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and others, if you want to defeat Trump, the more people involved in the race, the better it is for Trump. A one-on-one race between Trump and DeSantis, or a one-on-one between race between Trump and Chris Sununu, or someone, or Asa Hutchinson, is still worse for Trump when he goes one-on-one. Well, it's worse for Trump, but I think that Trump would beat Chris Sununu. I'm, I'm just throwing sure. out names that, you know. Trump would beat Asa Hutchinson, but Ron DeSantis is well-funded. He's very smart. He's got a lot more draw uh, on the uh, conservative populist wing of the party than Asa Hutchinson does, than certainly than Chris Sununu or Chris Christie does. Um, and Nikki Haley, for that matter, who's busy, who's busy trying to jump on the Trump bandwagon in regards to the Disney fight. I, I don't know if you saw very this. Strange. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Some of these candidates, um, and I put DeSantis is not a declared candidate, but no. I put him there with Haley and certainly with Vivek, whatever his name is, who I don't think is a serious candidate. Ramaswamy, they, yeah. They seem to be not realizing they have to defeat Trump before they can defeat Joe Biden. Uh, just well, throwing that out there. <laughs> you know, and I think that what they're what they're doing is that they're they're really buying into the Trump handbook here by just simply firing inside the tent. Ron DeSantis is really, I think, so far the only guy who's figured out that the best way to go about this is to keep firing at Joe Biden, right? And and because he's a governor, he's a sitting governor, he can control right, the right, news cycle right. by by doing different things with the, with the state. He can do that, which people who are not sitting politicians or even. Tim Scott or a senator may not be able to do. And right. so may maybe they're keeping their powder dry to steal a cliche, and maybe they're going to go after Trump because they're obviously the argument is simply you lost. Um, you lost the Senate twice. You lost the House once, and we could have probably gained more in the House without your candidates in 2022. And then there's obviously the conspiracy theories and some of the bizarre connections and the criminal charges. So maybe they're waiting till August for that in the debates. But then we come out and we hear in the last day or two rumors that Trump won't debate. And I talked about this with my dad, who's a pretty smart political guy. He yes. said six months ago, Trump's not going to debate. Then what does he have to gain? His, 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 I'm not going to say cult, his supporters, they may watch the debate, but they're not leaving him. I don't know if he's going to attract any new supporters during a debate. He certainly doesn't have a lot of policy ideas unless he's on script. So I don't think that, you know, Trump being in a debate would help him that much. And I certainly don't think him avoiding a debate would hurt him that much much among his 25 or 30%. Now, if that ceiling's high enough for him to get the nomination, then he should he doesn't need a debate. But it maybe is not high enough and maybe he does need a debate, but he may not. Well, if if he that's one reason to not make it into a two-person race. And that's what that's exactly what this ad did today. At any rate, I don't want to get too much into this because I, I pretty let's, much let's talk more about Biden. Yeah. I, well, I would just say that he was asked today. I happened to see this about an hour before we went on the air. We're recording at some point late afternoon on a certain day of the week. Um, he was asked at the White House 
is it the Rose Garden? I think it is. A reporter asked him about his his the fact that 70% of Americans don't think he should run. I don't think she mentioned this, but I believe it's like two-thirds of independents and about 51% of Democrats. 51% of Democrats don't think he should run. And one of the concerns, of course, is his advanced age. And they asked him, and he deflected to Trump. Um, he said, we have more to do. He said, we're at an inflection point. We have threats from democracy. And then he did mention that he has 41 to 46% favorability, somewhere in that broad range, and that his policies, his, yeah, I know, I know, that's his number. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're bragging that you've got 41% favorability? That's a terrible number. Well, he, he, he seemed to indicate that recent presidents, he didn't name them, but tr I'm assuming Trump, Bush, Obama, were around that, that spot at this point in their presidencies. That may or may not be true of all three. But he said that his policies are still popular, and he talked about all the spending. He said he spent so much money on infrastructure and climate investment, which, of course, I would think half the country, at least on the climate, is, thinks is ridiculous. But oh, and he said he inherited all this. So and they go back to the Barack Obama playbook of I inherited this mess. So he's not very popular. He wants to run against Trump. And some of these lines in his, in his, in his video that you noticed, obviously, about everything from don't say gay bills and um, – uh, who you can love and banning books. To my favorite one, he's still talking about voting rights. I mean, this is such a poisonous talking point that should have ended when turnout in Georgia, including among Black Americans, hit like record highs last year. Right. That's the rebuttal to his and Stacey Abrams, Jim Crow, Jim Eagle, whatever, lies about disenfranchisement. He's still peddling it because I believe he believes that most Democrats still believe that voting rights are in jeopardy in Waco, Texas, where Ed Morrissey is. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no. Um, so my issue here, uh, you know, Biden's a demagogue. He's always been a demagogue. He's always been a poisonous demagogue. It's so true. I'm not surprised by this, but I have a similar criticism for him as opposed to, or as uh, along with Trump, which is that your first campaign video really should be about you, your platform, making you look good. Now, Biden did tried to do some of that, but most of it was just slagging the opposition. And I will say that he was slagging the other party rather than opponents within his own party, because he doesn't have to worry about that, of course. But it just seemed, the tone just seemed really strange. And, and Trump's was even worse in that regard. But they're both bad for that. I'll also say this. You, you talk about his saying, well, most presidents were, were at this at this uh, level, uh, at this point in their presidency. That's true, In I, I think, at least in the range. He's in the range, I think at the low end of the range, of job approval, but not favorability. Now, Barack Obama's job approval was in the mid-40s, I think, uh, when he announced for re-election. That would have been sometime in, what, 2011. Actually, it might have gone up because it was right after the Osama bin Laden uh, mission because that was in May of 2011. Um, but it was it had been hovering in the mid 40s, the, the job approval rating and Republicans deduced from that that they had a real shot at, at, at defeating him. And I think they did if they'd run a better campaign. I think Romney could have won that election, which I wrote about. That's my, what my book is about. Um, going red, now available. Going, <laughs> eternally avail available on Amazon. Uh, some, some hardbound books might have a little soft cut on the top, but... <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. They actually still have fresh copies there. Um, but Obama's 
personal favorability never got that low. People liked Barack Obama. Now, we can argue whether they should have, but his personal favorability numbers, I don't think ever got below a majority. I mean, I think it was 55, 56%, even when his job approval numbers were in the low 40s. That's not true of Joe Biden. His favorability numbers are in the tank along with his job approval ratings. And that was true of Trump too. And I don't think it was as true with George Bush. No, George people, Bush's job people approval ratings were low, but they generally thought that he was, for the most part, generally thought that he was a good guy trying to do what he thought was right. You know, yeah, a lot it's of- true. It's true. And, yeah. and Biden also- Policy-wise, I mean, 77%, if you add up two different numbers, I think one was 49 and one was 28 on the economy, or sorry, on inflation. I forget right. the breakdown, but 77% think he's not doing well on inflation. Either he, and uh, and four, I think it was 14, 1.4% believe he's not doing well on the economy in general. I mean, that's if you can win with numbers like that, that doesn't say much about your opponent, I'll tell you that. Well, it doesn't. And and again, it just gets back to the the point here that I think the only Republican that Biden can beat is Donald Trump, which is yeah. the reason why the media and Democrats are itching to make Donald Trump front and center. They're talking about ultra mega. They're talking about Trump, 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 Trump. Um, it's sort of like a Candyman mantra, right? You say Donald Trump three times in the mirror, he suddenly appears. <laughs> That's yeah. an interesting thought. Yeah, I, I like how we don't need to get into it, but I think it's um when when um. <laughs> When, when when every poll shows that most of their options would probably defeat Biden, I realize these are polls, but Trump doesn't. Um, I'm not sure what the excitement is for, well, I understand the excitement, but I'm not sure what the, uh, why people would be voting for someone who's probably going to lose, unless it's all about performative politics and about owning the libs and about grievance. And frankly, yeah. you know, if you lose, you get to complain a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot more to complain about, too, if we if we lose. That's the problem. All right. Let's move on to another media story. Uh, and of course, a media earthquake hit uh, on Monday. Don Lemon got fired by CNN. Oh, wait. That wasn't I, was, the I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Yep. <laughs> that wasn't Don the Lemon. earthquake. Noted misogynist Don Lemon is out. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting now, too, because people are uh, I think it was um the Daily Mail reported that people on um, in, in CNN were saying it wasn't it wasn't how Lemon treated Ramaswamy because the the, the reports uh, a day or so ago was well that Ramaswamy uh, interview was the was the last straw because Don Lemon got you know just got irrationally um, angry at Ramaswamy and basically said you can't debate these issues unless you've got black skin and <laughs> which is you know. Typical Don Lemon, because the guy is an intellect. He's a, he's an intellectual featherweight anyway. Um, and he was losing the argument. So he got angry and declared that Ramaswamy wasn't dark enough to have that uh, conversation. And I think that that doesn't look good no matter what. But um, now what people on the inside are saying, it wasn't what he said to Ramaswamy. is what he said to Poppy Harlow, basically telling her to shut up. She tried to intercede in the in the conversation, and uh, that is what was the last straw for me. I think that there was years of years of um, um, evidence that he shouldn't be on the air. <laughs> it's just a question of when you felt it was a good time to pull the trigger, and uh, the good time to pull the trigger on Don Lemon was about thirty minutes after uh, the announcement that Fox News had cut ties with Tucker Carlson. I think Chris Licht was just like, 
holy crap, this is great. Let's just slide this one in here. Nobody will talk about Don Lemon. I think so. And I thought his his last draw would have been when he said that 50-year-old women are past their prime. That was the one. You think? His host. Um, he got a little suspension. But yeah, Tucker Carlson is out. Um, a lot of people are upset about that. Um, his The weird thing about Tucker is that it, it seems, and I've seen one report, but I just anecdotally, well, the Fox News audience is an older group, you know, older than you and I, Ed, um, older demographics. Tucker's demographics are, are a little younger. He has a lot of younger men, um, populist men, obviously, mostly conservative, but he has a younger audience and they're mad that he's gone. But that's not the Fox audience. The Fox audience um, are the ones that made the five the number one show uh, on the network in the past year, supplanting Tucker Carlson. And that's during the day, obviously, at 5 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So middle of the afternoon out west. So I don't think Tucker is quite as popular as people think. Yes, he gets 3 million viewers per night. But you could put Ed Morrissey and A.J. Kaufman in that time slot, and we'd get 3 million viewers, to some, at least for the first few weeks. You could put a blank screen on there. I mean, that's the Bill O'Reilly spot. I'm just going to say it. That's the most valuable real estate in cable news, 8 p.m. Eastern on a weeknight. Forget Bill O'Reilly in general. That's a valuable spot, whether it's CNN, MSNBC, or Fox. Yeah, but the CNN nine, and MSNBC aren't aren't converting three million viewers, man. They're getting maybe that, a million. They're pulling from the same. We know why. I like Fox in general, but we know why Fox's ratings are higher. And with exception of OA and Newsmax in the past few years, conservatives have one place to go. Liberals have several places to go. It's 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 a. I've always felt a little misleading to talk about how Fox dominates because they don't have as many as much competition. Um, but the the eight p.m. and the nine p.m. spots are valuable. Um. And that's that's the spot. Fox um, is the Fox News is the star more than Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity or Jesse Waters, in my opinion. So I think I looked it up and I think O'Reilly had three point nine million viewers in his last episode. Tucker had two point six. Big difference. Um, And I think that Tucker Carlson, obviously, there's some karma here. Um, You may agree with him. I may agree with him on 80 percent of the issues. But the last year or so. He's been a, a mouthpiece for Moscow. Um, uh, we don't need to get into the details. He's had pro-Putin people on his show consistently from the left also, mostly from the left, actually, the Glenn, Ga- Glenn Greenwald, Steve Cohen, Tulsi Gabbard wing, and then people on the right, some disgraced retired generals. He obviously had his January 6th conspiracies, two rounds of them, one with his Patriot Purge show on Fox Nation, one with the Kevin McCarthy tape. Again, whether you like those or not, so that's something I don't know that at 8 p.m. on Fox, Fox even wants to have on there. And then, of course, I think he was insincere to his audience. Um, Whether it's true or not, we have the text messages showing that he doesn't think much of Donald Trump, despite what he says on TV. And he trashed people. He trashed the network. He trashed honest journalists like Jackie Heinrich and wanted to get her fired on election night for reporting the news. They fired Chris Steyerwalt, who was a great reporter, an honest honest journalist. Um, And he was vindictive. I mean, he really did say things in private that were different than what he said in public. And of course, he cost the company, the most important thing, probably, he cost the company $800 million. Well, no, a- no, 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 no. I'm going to see. Now we're going to have a debate. First off, we're hearing a lot of this stuff. We're hearing some of this stuff was is messages from Discovery. So, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff we, we know because of the lawsuit. But the issues that were in play in the Dominion lawsuit didn't really have a lot to do with Tucker Carlson. They had a lot to do with Lou Dobbs. They had something to do with yeah, Maria. Fire, by the way. They, yeah. and, and they had something to do with Sean Hannity. But Tucker Carlson wasn't really that much. The exposure wasn't really so much from Tucker's show. 
Um, I don't know about Smartmatic because, you know, they're still haggling on, on Discovery and we may find out something different on Smartmatic. But Tucker Carlson was the only Fox person who actually seriously pushed back against the against the um, the Trump theory, the Kraken theory of the 2020 election. He tried to get Sidney Powell to come on and provide evidence for these claims. Sidney Powell kept shining him on. And then he did a whole segment because we we wrote about it at the time. He did a whole segment saying, look, we've I've tried several times to get her to show me evidence of these claims. She's not producing it. I have to assume she doesn't have any and that these are nonsense. Um, he was the only Fox guy I know that was saying stuff like that on the air. Some of them were saying it off the air. We know that from Discovery too, um, but I don't think it's as cut and dried that they got, they cut Tucker loose because he cost them money. No, if they were going to do no, that, part of it. Probably, the other hosts. Lou Dobbs was worse. Lou Dobbs lost his job right away, and Lou Dobbs should probably be in a, in a mental hospital. Frankly, some of the things he said, um, and I don't think they're going to fire Hannity. I guess he's been there too long. I don't deny that he's not the only one, or even he wasn't the primary one. I do think that his pro-Putin rhetoric that when you when you're the you know when you're giving comfort to the enemy, essentially. I know not everyone in America thinks that Putin's the enemy, but he well, is. I, I I am not a fan of Putin. I, I don't think though that we should cast it in those terms. We're not at war with Putin, and right. look, I don't have a problem with having a debate on this, and I don't have a problem with criticizing Tucker over it either. But we, when we're edging into that territory, we are getting to a point where we're saying we're not going to have conversations about this. And this is a, this is a public policy issue for the American people because we are arming Ukraine. I mean, there's, we're not even hiding the fact that we're arming Ukraine. And I think it's good policy, but I'm also willing to hear from people who thinks it's not. And right, he's only promoting one side, in my opinion. And that's, that's, that's his prerogative as an opinion host. Um, exactly. Exactly. And and look, that's what got him 3.9 million viewers. And Fox was yeah. certainly happy to do that. Oh, for sure. No, I it's, and I think I what happened, I think what happened was that they got concerned that they weren't going to be able to con control the editorial con content. And, and the fact is, we don't know what happened because we're getting leaks from Fox with clearly getting leaks from Fox. Right. We're not getting people going on the record there. We're just getting some leaks from from Fox News who has a very vested interest in spinning this thing. And Tucker's not saying anything yet, probably because he's negotiating his exit. Um, you know, because- Look, I read Hot Air today. I read the summer. I, I find all the, some of those complaints to be um, probably not not having that much merit, especially from the first lady that was mentioned. Um, but, and I don't, I'm not even talking about those complaints about him making anti-Semitic comments or what have you. Um, some of these are harassment or whatever. I, that, those things to me are superfluous. To what's going on i just think tucker carlson i followed him since his days at the weekly standard when i was in high school when he was right. a very talented writer he is a very talented writer um i just think he was irresponsible with a lot of what he said and did oh, and i'm not just talking about january 6th although that's pretty important too or the 2020 election or even putin you watch his show on a nightly basis you see some of the lines he has a, there's a lot of grievance um and i think it sounded more like bernie sanders half the time when he had his left-wing guests on, or even RFK Jr. And look, I think he thought he was bigger than the network, and I think he tried to change the Republican Party for the worse. I think he tried to change it into a conspiracy party, cloistered in corners of, corners of the internet, while doing it all from his beautiful Florida mansion, or his main home, which is just not, you know, that's classic populist hypocrisy, in my opinion, but I'm not saying he can't make a living. I just would like to see... Hey, Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh broadcast from his, from his Florida... Um... 
I, I, I manner, I guess you call yeah, it. For, for 30 years. I mean, and he didn't, he made it over, he made it from nothing. I'm just, Tucker was fired at four places, by the way, before this, or three. Yeah, CNN, MSNBC, PBS. It's not, it's not atypical for the industry, right? It's, no, it's uh, not. They, they all live well. I'm just saying he, and I, I don't blame him for leaving DC during COVID and maybe being harassed by the left. But when you're talking about how he, he feels the pain of people in rural Ohio or rural Nebraska, and he's living where he's living and how he's living and never going to these places outside of, he went to Hungary a couple of times, which interesting for obvious reasons but i like to see him go to i like to see him go to these places interview people in in these places he's he's talking about like he's an expert he's he sends a crew there um whatever i i just think the network's better for not having him and the, certainly the republican party is better because if we can just peel off 20 percent of the people who believe the worst of what carlson said because 80 percent of what he said i probably like but if we can get some of these people to come back to reality and get away from the conspiracies and away from appeasing autocrats and stand on the side of freedom and not have so much grievance, I think it's better for the Republican Party. Let the Democrats be the party of grievance and appeasing our enemies. Well, don't hold back, AJ. Tell us what you really think. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm still going to disagree with you on Tucker. I, I am. Um, I think Tucker is, uh, first off, I, I think that he's not doing stuff he doesn't believe in. Now, I understand Mm, yeah. I understand the venting. Yeah. I understand the internal venting in memos. People write memos. People write emails. They do it for various different reasons. They blow off steam. Um, that's not necessarily their con their overall considered opinion. And again, I don't see him as a primary driver of the liability that Fox News incurred when it came to um, you know, smartmatic when it came to uh, that may be true. I, that may be true. I just think his overall influence was was pernicious on the, on debate, and he enabled the left to characterize the entire Republican Party as a bunch of Donald Trumps or Tucker Carlsons, and I don't think that's a good thing. Do you think it would have been any different with any other host that that could yeah. succeed, that could succeed oh. at Fox News? Oh, no, like no, starting so. now? I think if you put me in that slot. You're not going to say the same. You're not going to espouse the same rhetoric as he is on January sixth, and and Putin. You're not. No, no. and that's not going to stop them from making me into some sort of uh, some sort of uh, ultra mega monster either. AJ, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Is well, that they they have a special dislike for Carlson because, and I don't get into this stuff. They think he's a racist, bigot, anti semite. I don't get into that. They don't think that necessarily about every Fox News host. Believe me. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Yes, they do. The opinion host. The opinion host, maybe. The Not opinion host. Yes. Yes. I, well, hey, you don't think that, right. And they think all of them are racist bigots. Right. But I don't think, and I don't like Laura Ingraham at all. I don't mind Hannity. I'm not sure who the fourth is. Jesse Waters, I guess. Most of those people, as far as I know, were not openly pro-Putin, in my opinion. January 6th conspiracies. And, so, and even the replacement theory, which I don't buy, but a lot of his stuff came that came off racist to people on the left and, and the center, that wasn't good for the network either. <laughs> I can tell you what's not good for the network is defaming Dominion and then having to well, celebrate $787 million. I mean, that's that's not good for the network. Everything up to that point had been coming up roses for the Murdochs. Okay. Well, financially, financially, yeah. Financially, yeah, financially. That's the the bottom line is the bottom line. It, yeah, it just, I would, I'm, I'm still going back to the fact that I don't think he's good for the party long term or the movement. I mean, the Heritage Foundation has become like that. That's not good. I like the Heritage. Used to like the Heritage Foundation. Now it's just, it's just. I'm um, yeah, I'm interested to see what Tucker does in, in his next iteration. Look, this is a guy who knows how to who knows how to create 
platforms. He created the Daily Caller from scratch, uh, sold off his interest in it in 2020. Um, so he held on to it for a while while he was at Fox. And um, and he's going to come out of this thing with a big like a big undisclosed settlement. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess maybe we're talking past each other. Do you do you think that a, this a strategy of monetizing constant stoking of, of fear, crisis and paranoia should be the true faith now of the Republican Party? No, no, of course not. Of course not. But, you know, Megyn Kelly doesn't do that. And she's very successful on. Like on yeah, so do I. She's very successful on an independent platform. There's plenty of opportunities for people to to deliver the speech that they like. And look. I think that you can, I think Tucker Carlson is certainly criticizable. Um, what I don't get here is the way it was handled and why it was handled that way. And I think that they're, the only thing that I can think of is that they were concerned about Carlson's recent focus on Ray Epps. And I think they were, I think they became concerned that they were going to end up with another defamation lawsuit yeah. reportedly. And this is what, you know, this is what everybody heard the day after was that Carlson came in, they were planning to do a response to Ray Epps's 60 minutes thing the day before on Sunday and Fox news wanted to shut it down because they're, <laughs> they're suddenly very interested in liability. Uh, <laughs> Understandably. And, and he contributed to that. He may not be the main culprit, but he yeah. contributed to that. That's and Janine Pirro and every, and Maria Bartiromo and a lot of these people. That I can understand. But if that's not what it was, if it was just because he was, uh, calling Fox executives names on internal communications. That's pretty damn lame. David Letterman used to do that on NBC <laughs> and it worked for years for him. Um, and, and he wasn't even doing it on air. I'm just curious as to why this suddenly became an issue. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't think it's cut and dress. Cut and and dry that's my point. And that's my point. We really don't know the answer because all we're getting from Fox is a bunch of leaks, which is kind of, um bullshit frankly um they should keep their mouths shut they should have learned to keep their mouths shut um and tucker is being very quiet about it i'm willing to wait to see what tucker has to say about this situation you know they had the same thing they, well they didn't have the same thing they had a they, they cut dan bongino loose but that was a completely different everybody handled it better dan bongino you know they came out and said hey look they were trying to work with me. I was trying to work with them. We just couldn't agree on a contract anymore. So I decided I'm going to go off on my own. Yeah. I'm not sure if I believe that. But... I, well, I'm not sure I believe it either, but at least both sides handled it better. <laughs> right? That's how they said, and Don Lemon too. <laughs> oh, Don Lemon. Don, Don Lemon, Lemon tweeted Don out Lemon his retirement. He, 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 he went immediately to grievance mode, right? And Tucker didn't do that. No, I, I agree. He didn't go to grievance mode. I agree with it. It's, it's, I mean, it's only Wednesday. Um. <laughs> well, I think they're still. I think they're still crossing the uh, T's and dotting the I's on the um, on the uh, contract settlement that's going to be coming. So there, there's good reason to keep his mouth shut. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have a different opinion about Tucker. I, I I I certainly didn't agree with some of the stuff that he was doing on the show. I think he was a net positive. Um, it, it, because at least he was encouraging some of the debate that that we're talking about. And he was, I mean, when you're talking about Ukraine and the issues there, uh, 
you know, I think that's talking about Ukraine. I, I th- I've heard Ukraine talked about on every podcast and every cable news show outside of maybe some of the more, you know, juvenile ones. I mean, I liked him, by the way, I liked Tucker Carlson for the first year or two when he was just starting. He moved his way up right away when either O'Reilly or Kelly left. He moved right up there. Something changed toward the end of the Trump presidency. And then you started getting, I mean, he did make videos where he basically, I don't want to get into a long thing, apologized for some January 6th domestic terrorists, which I don't, I know there's people that are being charged and there's debate over whether they're being fairly charged, but he made full documentaries where he took one side. And I know you're allowed to do that in a documentary, but yeah. it, was, it was misleading. There was somebody, so it, was Michael, it was Michael Moore on the right. I mean, it was really, you know, we don't, I, I guess I think we don't need to stoop to that level. I know Rush Limbaugh would tell me, oh, don't worry about stooping to their level. You don't need to play fair or whatever. And I, I just, you know, at this point, when I see the party that I generally vote for moving into grievance and paranoia and conspiracies and teen sport politics and frankly, big government, and they thought Bush was too big government. I mean, my gosh, no one wants to rein in our fiscal house now on the right, except for Paul Ryan. And he's, he's gone. Yep. All right. We should wrap this up. AJ, tell us what, uh, you know, what, what should we look for next for you? You know, where, where do you have stuff coming up? Well, I write a column every Monday at LibBlog. I usually post sometime during the middle of the day. Um, uh, that column is occasionally syndicated by Arut Shava, IsraelNationalNews.com. Um, I also write some exclusive columns for them, especially if it has to deal with foreign policy. Uh, right. and, that, and then personally, you know, you can internet a wonderful thing. You can find what you want, but I do write for several newspapers around the country and business journals in Minnesota, in Ohio, in Tennessee, in Virginia. Um, and that's hard news. And that's maybe that's why I've changed a bit in the past year, because I've done so much hard news lately that I try, if I can, to just stick to the facts and see where things take me and rather than putting a spin on it, unless it's an unless I'm writing a column that's openly um, mentioned as an opinion column or an editorial. All right. The, the, the wall exists with A.J. Kaufman. So be sure to check all those things out. A.J., thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ed.